Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Thanks, Ryan and uh, Rob. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. Um, and Mary, that word uh, just really highlights exactly, exactly what we're talking about this morning. Um, man, hello, my name is Alvia. And I, my wife, Allie, and I, we, we lead the high school ministry here at LBCF, um, if you're new and visit or visiting. Um, and I'm also on the, on the teaching team. So every once in a while on a Sunday, I'll, I'll teach the word of God. And I'm excited to be here with you today to talk about First Timothy. We, as a community, as a church community, have been studying together, studying the entire New Testament um, as a series. And so last week we, we completed Second Thessalonians and, and now we're launching into what's called the pastoral letters. First Timothy, Second Timothy and Titus make up these letters that Paul, uh, Paul writes to, to specific individuals, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Corinthians, other letters that you read in the New Testament were meant to be read by entire communities. However, First Timothy was, was written to a, to a young pastor named Timothy um, to encourage him. It was incredibly conversational, so much so that Paul even takes the time in First Timothy to tell uh, Timothy to start drinking a little bit of wine instead of just drinking water because of his stomach issues that he's been having. So it's totally a contextual, uh, very specific and practical uh, conversation that, or, or, or letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. Okay, um, friends, I believe that, that uh, I mean, I'm just thinking about Rob and singing his song that he's singing, and he's singing, you know, God with us, God for us, nothing can come against us and, and, and separate us from the love of God. Um, I'm thinking about the story that Mary uh, just shared in Genesis, one of my favorite stories of how, of how God, as soon as Adam and Eve, they, they sinned, God goes right to them and covers their shame. And last week, Steve, he shared this message reminding us that we're chosen by God. And I think there's a theme going on. And that's exactly, I think that this, that, that theme is exactly it's love and it's our identity in God. Um, the fact that we are, we cannot be separated from him. Nothing can come against us in our relationship with him. And I believe that theme is going to continue today. We are in First Timothy, and this book, this letter, is a challenging one. Uh, in Timothy, uh, Timothy, this this letter, uh, it, it talks about homosexuality, or it's one of the letters that that the church has used in the past to exclude or claim that homosexuality or the practice of it is a sin. Uh, it also has a a passage where Paul discusses women in leadership. Uh, chapter two, where women, he says that women should learn in quietness and in silence and submission and should not have authority over men. There's also a list of qualifications uh, for leaders and what leaders should be like. And it's just a heavily used book of the New Testament, a heavily used letter by the church today. And for some of you, as soon as we said, hey, we're reading in First Timothy this morning, you might have gotten this feeling in your in your stomach that 
the, like a cringy feeling in your gut. Like, oh man, we're talking about First Timothy. We're talking about homosexuality and, and all of these hot words, women in leadership. But I want to invite you uh, to, to, to take a different view or, or try on a different view. My hope is that I, uh, as we cover just chapter one today, that I, I spur on questions. Um, uh, maybe I would encourage you to study further and to continue to dig into what Paul is teaching here. Um, my hope is not to for you to just take what I say as faith value, but for you to take what I say and just, just keep it in your back pocket as you continue to seek out truth for yourself. Oh, man, the, I, I believe that what Paul is, is talking about here is grace and, and, and the, very, uh, the very love of God that he has for mankind. While I'm also one who has used Timothy to exclude people out of the church, in the past I've, I've used Timothy to, to build up or add to my personal list of what is sin and what isn't. Today I want to encourage you to consider or keep at the forefront of your mind the love of God. What is your understanding of God's love? How wide is it? How deep? How extensive? Does it cover all believers? Every kind of believer. Believers who you believe to be sinning believers. Ignorant believers. Is God's love wide enough to cover all kinds of sinners, even the worst of sinners? This, um, I've been a wreck this morning. I've been weeping all morning. And I think this is because this, this, this book and the topic at hand here is, is one of the most important topics that I think that I can speak on when preaching the gospel. This is the very core of the gospel. And I think of uh, past, um, past youth that I've worked with, high school students that have been the most messy, sinful type of people. And every time that I, I come to them and I, I open my mouth to share the word of God, God reminds me, hey, just tell them I love them. Just tell them I love them. And I think that's exactly what's going on here with Paul to Timothy. So Timothy, uh, Timothy's a young pastor. Uh, Paul and Timothy, they, they raised up this church in the city called Ephesus. And eventually Paul leaves, but he asked Timothy to stay behind uh, in order to, uh, to, to put a stop to people who are preaching the law of God in such a way that's preventing others, certain believers, from living a life of faith in God. And so let's go ahead and dive in and read. I'm going to read through the whole chapter and then we'll, we'll dig in here. Verse one. This is a letter from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior in Christ Jesus, God, our Savior in Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God, the Father in Christ Jesus, uh, our Lord, give you grace, mercy and peace. When I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths, things that aren't true, and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. 
So, Paul, I'm sorry. Let me. I have. A, I'm having a technical difficulty here, and I'm gonna back up for a second. Team, can you guys still hear me? Perfect. Sorry about that, guys. My my headphones uh, malfunctioned, and so let's dig back in. So, what we just read, Paul, he just. He just introduced himself and he starts to lay out his heart for uh, why he's writing this letter to Paul. So he he explains he explains exactly why he leaves Paul, uh, Timothy in in Ephesus. And then um, he starts to lay out the fact that people people are preventing their people in the church that are preventing others from living a life of faith in God. And so verse five, Paul then goes into the very purpose of why. He is writing this letter. And as you continue to read Timothy at home, it's important to keep this this verse in mind. Verse five, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers, and I want to highlight all, would be filled with the love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. I'm going to read that again. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And then he goes on, he says, but some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from, from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the low, law of Moses. They want to be known as experts of the law of Moses. But they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. Now, Timothy, some scholars say that Timothy simply was young and immature, he was a young pastor that was just being intimidated by people. So if you can imagine, Paul is describing these people who claim to be, who are claiming to be experts on the law of Moses, and they're talking about it in such a way that's keeping people from living a life of faith. But Timothy, who's charged and committed to this calling to pastor church, is being intimidated out of the work of putting a stop to this sort of anti-gospel movement going on in the church of Ephesus. And so Paul, going back to the scripture here, in verse 8, it's almost as if he says, okay, so these people want to claim and preach the law of Moses as if they're experts. Well, let's talk about the law of Moses. Verse 8, Paul says, we know that the law is good when it's used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what's right. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious. Going back to verse 9, in a sense, he's saying the law was not intended for people who are perfect. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. Verse 10, the laws for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. So Paul offers us this list. He, he goes, he says, let's talk about the law. Well, the law is not for people who are perfect. It's for all these types of sinners. And this is a section that I've often used uh, to almost compile my own mental list of what is a sin and what's not. Who should be able to allow it to continue to serve and live as a part of our church community and who shouldn't? For years, I've referred to this passage 
to, to discuss homosexuality and whether someone um, of the queer community can, someone who is queer can, can have and live a life that's a part, a life of faith in God. And here, Paul offers us this list. He says the laws for all sorts of people. And if you can, um, if you if you view it and you just read this section, it looks just simply like a list of different types of sinners. But I want to propose to you that Paul here is specifically is not offering us a list of, of different types of sinners, but instead he's 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 talking about very specific people who were members and who are members of the church of Ephesus. These were believers that Paul knew and Timothy knew by name. I imagine that when Paul, uh, Timothy read off this list, he was thinking, oh yeah, the person he considers nothing sacred, Joe Schmo. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And as he was reading down this list, he was getting mental pictures of people that he was serving in Ephesus. Paul starts very broad. He says, those who are in God, lawless and rebellious, ungodly, and then gets more specific. Those who kill their father or mother, perhaps there was somebody who did do this in the church of Ephesus. Maybe he got away with it and then became a Christian and, and, and repented. Those who are who practice homosexuality and he kind of gets very specific slave traders. Definitely, Timothy would have known who the slave traders were in, in, in his church. But then he gets down to the promise breakers. And I imagine it, that it's I think it's quite possible that when. Timothy read this word promise breaker, he thought of himself. He thought of himself because he promised to pastor this church and he wasn't. So Paul is needing to write this letter and say, hey, Timothy, don't be intimidated. Do what you're called to do. And it only makes sense because then eventually Paul turns the conversation to himself and he talks about himself and includes himself as one of these sinners. So let's go ahead and read in verse 12. Paul begins to talk, turns the conversation to himself. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, he says, verse 15. And everyone, everyone should accept it. And I believe that Paul is speaking to the issue of, of these people that were misusing the law of Moses in the church of Ephesus. He says, everyone needs to accept this point, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I am the worst of them all. He doesn't say I was. He says I am. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience and even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. I'll honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. 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 So Paul here is not offering us a list of, of sin. His point is definitely much larger. If you look at this within the context, he's clearly talking about very specific, specific people within the church. He says the law of Moses is, is for all kinds of ungodly people. 
people who practice homosexuality or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, and even himself. And then he claims that he is the example of how wide and how great the grace of God really is. Church, I know that we often obsess on compiling our personal list of what is sin, what is not. We obsess over this act of figuring out what is in and what is out of God's kingdom. But when I read this and I read Paul embracing the fact that he is the worst of all sinners, I have to consider, I have to consider my view of what sin is. Uh, Sam Smith, she's our ops manager, Rob's wife. She's amazing. She's one of our leaders in spiritual formation. And, and uh, she, on a few occasions, has told me, you know, I believe that uh, the church, the big C church, the church at large, not just LBCF, we often have a view of sin that's far too small. And I've chewed on that phrase, a view of sin that's far too small. For me, when I first became a Christian, it started with me hearing about the love of God. Someone told me, did you know that there's a God that's real and that he loves you like crazy? In fact, he died for you and paid this sacrifice for you. And that reality just rocked my world. And I became obsessed with Jesus. I gave myself to Jesus and I, I devoted my life with him so much so that I committed myself to being a pure person. That became my next obsession. I wanted to be pure. And so I thought what life was all about, life was as a Christian, was figuring out what is a sin and what isn't. I would turn to First Timothy and I would say, okay, definitely don't hold nothing sacred um, or hold things that are sacred. Definitely don't kill people, especially my parents. And definitely uh, don't be gay. Um, don't be a slave trader. And I would add to this list. But my list was not infinitely long. I mean, on my list, I had don't lust, don't watch porn, don't cuss. That was one of them. Um, don't hate people. I felt like that was easy. Don't lie. And I had this sort of small, this list that was in a sense manageable. It was tough at first, but hey, maybe I have a strong will. I felt like I started become, becoming very good at managing my list. I never said, I never said a cuss word. <laughs> I said frick instead of the other word, right? F word. Um, I, I, I stopped watching porn. I, I committed myself to not lying. And if I did mess up, I would confess and I'd feel like, okay, I'm pure again. And that became the next 10 years of my life with Christ. After, after almost a decade, I fell into this season where I would go to church and I'd worship and someone would this, I remember one day I was in church and I was watching somebody on stage talk about the love of Christ and the blood, the sacrifice that he paid. And the pers this person was filled with so much gratitude, she started crying. And no matter how hard I tried, I realized that I just simply couldn't relate. And I think the issue, the issue was that I just, I felt like I was a good person. Yes, I know that Christ, I know the whole Christ, the Christ story. I know the, 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 the fact that he died for me, but I just don't feel like I really need his blood right now. I don't need his sacrifice right now because I'm managing my list that I of, of sin. I think what is happening is that the, my list, my view and scope of what sin is, was small enough to fit in a, on a list or in a book. 
It was too small. It was far too small. But clearly for Paul, his view of sin and his scope of sin was so large that it even included him as the worst of all sinners. So what is Paul saying here? He says that the law is good for people who are sinful. He, the law is good for him as the worst of all sinners. Well, let's look at the word. Uh, let's look at what law means. We often read of, I was talking with my friend at work this week, and, and he, he was like, man, whenever you say law of Moses, I'm thinking of the this list of law, the mental picture of, of the book, of, of a law book. And the truth of the matter is that Paul was Jewish. Whenever, and you can keep this in mind when you study the entire New Testament, whenever you come across the word law, what he's referring to is the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's Genesis and Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It is, it is the story of God and his people. We just heard a story from Genesis about God reclaiming Ab and Eve, saying, hey, you are mine. I'm still going to clothe you. And that is a part of the law of Moses. And so the Jewish to the Jewish listeners or to Timothy, who would have read this, he would have his mind would have automatically just went to the story of God, the entire story of God that we find in the Old Testament, the story of God claiming us as creation, his creation, the story of God claiming us as his chosen people and claiming the fact that he will be our God. It's a story of God telling us how to live and us failing, failing his standards or his instruction. And then time and time again, he comes back to us because nothing can separate us from his love. And it's in a sense, if we go back to verse 8, we could also read this as we know that the law is good. Instead of the law, we can read this as we know that our our identity in God is good when it's used correctly. The law, uh, we can read this as our identity and the fact that we're chosen in him is good for those who are ungodly. It is good for those who are sexually immoral, those who are homosexual, slave or practice homosexuality, slave traders, and it was good even for himself. This is the conversation about our identity as children of God that are absolutely loved by God. Remember, Paul said that the purpose of his writings that all people, all believers would be filled with the love of God. He's not offering us a list of what is a sin and what isn't. Instead, he's talking about the very people that he loves and lives with in his community. And he's saying, hey, Timothy, remember these people who are excluding these people out of their community, you need to put a stop to it because you know what? The love of God and our identity, the law of Moses is, is for all, all believers. I think that, the, that Paul's view of sin was massive, and I think his view of God's love was even more massive. The word that he uses for love was agape love. And agape love, that's the Greek word, agape. And really what it means is the type of love that God has for mankind. It's this ridiculous type of love that just doesn't make sense. Paul uses this word mystery throughout all of his letters. What is this mysterious love? And this is what he's saying is for all sinners, all types of believers. How wide and how deep is the love of God? Is it, is it, is it 
big enough to cover all kinds of sinners, believers that don't get it, believers that you disagree with, sinners that you think are completely, completely, that should be, that, that you would exclude from the church. Paul is having an inclusive conversation here and not an exclusive, and he's fighting the exclusion. I want to just touch on uh, homosexuality because it's simply for our community and also our city and the church at large. It's just a hot word right now. It's a massive point of contention. And I just want to point out that the word here that he uses, uh, if we can go to the slide uh, that says our synechoitis. So the word that Paul uses that we translate into the English word homosexuality is arsenokoitis. And it's it's made of two different words that, in a sense, you can kind of, it, it, it sort of means male bed, male bed. And this word is virtually, is virtually unused. It's not found anywhere else in scripture. Actually, it's found, Paul uses one other time, but prior to Paul's writing, it is not found in any literature. So in a sense, scholars say that Paul made up this word and we have to figure out what that means. Some people argue that these two words are found in the book of Leviticus. And so Paul uses these two words and combines it to mean homosexuality. But there are all kinds of arguments and ways to, to undo that sort of belief. And my point here, guys, is I can, I can argue for both sides of this belief or this debate on whether or not homosexuality is a sin or not. But my view of this word is kind of like our favorite word these days, social distancing. It's the word of 2020. It's a word that's filled every nook and cranny of our life and our community, but was a term that was virtually non-existent prior to 2020. So it's almost as if if Paul lived today and he was writing to a church, uh, to a pastor in today's church here in L.A. And uh, some churches in L.A. believe that we should be social distancing and others shouldn't. And imagine if Paul writes to this pastor and says, it is righteous for a church to be social, socially distant. Can you imagine 2,000 years later, we read this letter that Paul writes and we read this, this phrase. It is righteous for a church to be socially distant. If we were to read it literally and not really understand the entire context, it is quite possible that that church 2,000 years from now would create these laws that they would live by where people in the church should not be socially close. And that's exactly what's going on here. We have to consider the entire context. I'm not sure exactly what male bed really means, but I don't believe there's enough here to, to add the word homosexuality to our list of what is included and excluded in the kingdom of God. And if you do believe that this is a black and white issue, my question then again is how wide and how deep. Paul considers himself the, the worst of all sinners. We're going to take communion here in a moment. And Andrew, if we can go to the slide uh, that has uh, two verses on Romans um, and Ephesians. And I want to turn, uh, church, I want to turn you on to two quotes. These are two of my favorite verses that Paul 
um, writes in his, in his letters. The first is in Romans. It says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Paul also wrote, may you have the power to understand all, um, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how, how high and how deep his love is. That's the question today. LBCF, how wide is the love of God? And how, 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 how extensive is our view of sin? Does, does your view of sin and your scope of sin, is it so massive that it counts you in as the worst of all sinners? And is your view of love so massive that it would just it would cover cover that entire identity that you are a sinner? As we join in communion today, um, I want I, I want to ask you to just reflect on on the love of Christ and and the sacrifice that He poured out for us. If we can go to the next slide uh, on communion the communion. It says here that uh, we believe, guys, that, that communion is this act. It's this meal that we have um, that Jesus instructed us to do that really reflects on the new life that we have through the death and resurrection and future coming of our Lord. In Luke, it says that, um, that Jesus, he took a loaf of bread. And actually, if you can pull out your communion, uh, I just kind of shifted right into it elements, communion elements. Jesus said, uh, Jesus took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup. After supper saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. LBCF, as we join in this meal, as we break bread together, and as we as we drink of the blood of Christ, let's remember the sacrifice and the extent to which his love extends for us. Let's 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 consider our identity as sinners, all of us, and let's just enjoy and remember and ingest the love of Christ in such a way that it would pour out to all people just as God loves us. Remember, Paul's main purpose for 1 Timothy is that all believers be filled with the, the, the love that God has for mankind. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I pray for our community and I just, I pray that we would, we would be in the boat of people who get it. I pray that you would constantly remind us of how massive your love is. And I pray that when we fall into this game of inclusion and exclusion of, all, of believers, that you would simply remind us that each one of us are like Paul. Each one of us are, could be considered the worst of all sinners. 
And Father, as we read and continue to study First Timothy, I pray that you would remind us of your love rather than, rather than allow us to fall into this, this, this game of compiling what is a sin and what isn't. Lord, I pray that your love would overflow out of our entire community and this identity that we're chosen would be spoken over each one of us, that, that clearly you are speaking this to us. Lord, these things I pray in your name. Amen. Let's continue in worship with Rob. 